Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12. If you have a black Bible, it's on page 947, just so you know, I say this every time, but those Bibles are for you. You can use them on Sunday mornings, or if you do not have a Bible, please take one. That is our gift to you. You keep it. Romans chapter 12, it's in the New Testament, near the back of the book. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the little tiny numbers are the verse numbers. And we're just, we just have one verse this morning, Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Hear the reading of the word. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we ask now that you would be with us again, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would show us what, you, what we need, what we need to be happy on this planet. You've promised it to us, and so we ask that you would give it. Get us down the field a little bit more today that we may take hold of the promises, the blessings that you have given to us. And as always, God, for those who are in mourning, who are suffering under depression, God, be careful and uh, comforting to them today, O oh Lord. May you lift their heads. May these verses, may these words be a balm to their wounds. In all these things, we ask the Spirit's guidance and help. In Jesus' name, amen. So Dean Kuntz is a writer. He's a novelist. I'm sure you've read some of his books. Well, he decided a couple years ago to write a book from the perspective of his dog, this dog, his golden retriever named Trixie. If this dog could talk, if she could express herself verbally or in written form, what would she say? What would she say? What would her mood be? Well, it should not surprise us that he imagines that Trixie, his golden retriever, would be cheerful, optimistic, delighted at life no matter what circumstances would befall her. And so this is what she says. Hello again. I'm back. Me, Trixie Kuntz. Dog and author and happy cookie eater. Why is it so hard for humans to learn to see beauty everywhere? One reason, desire. Humans mostly think about what they want next. Always thinking what is wanted next. You live in the future, never in now. Can't see beauty of world, which is now. If you are full of desire for what you want next Tuesday. Dogs never know what comes next. Always surprised. Might be skin infection. Might be an entire meatloaf dropped on the floor. Want to know secret? You can't control future either. Here it comes. Skin infection or meatloaf is rhythm of life. Meatloaf, skin infection, bag of potato chips left open low on table, meteor through roof. Good thing about life is there's always lots more meatloaf than meteors. So here's my sermon today in a nutshell. You can be like a dog. You can be like a dog. There is hope for you, for me, to live optimistically, cheerfully, 
happily in this world, even with the chance of skin infections and meteors and job loss and marital difficulties and cancer and on and on, we have the opportunity to be happier. And I would posit happier even than dogs. But listen, it will take something that I don't know that we always think about. Our thinking. The transformation of our minds. And so let's look deeply at it today. Three points. Number one, our happiness makeup. Number two, our happiness hazards. And three, our happy mind. Our happy mind. Okay, number one, our happiness makeup. So if you have been with us the last two weeks, we've been in a series on happiness. We have said two main things. First, that God wants us to be happy. We said Psalm 1 launches out the whole book of Psalms with an invitation to the happy life. Happy is the man. And then Jesus, the man, reaffirms this. In John 10.10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. That's the first thing. We are promised happiness. Second, the whole notion of happiness stems, comes from the Godhead. God is happy. He is wonderfully, foundationally, supremely happy. And so we are taught that our strength comes from His joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Psalm 16, 11, that in His presence at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is a God that is founded in that exudes great happiness. You bring those two things together and you can kind of see where our lives are supposed to go. I've said this three times, I'm going to say it again. C.S. Lewis, it is our duty as Christians to be as happy as we can. Okay, so how do we do it? How do we take it? That is the question. In the next two weeks, you're going to be covering that. How do we take hold of happiness? And not just in a way, remember Bob Dylan said that it slips through our fingers, but in a way that we can hold on to it, that we can keep it, that no matter what life brings, that we can continually be and deeply be happy. Well, today we're actually going to look at a little bit of modern science to help us out. Modern science has determined that there are basically three things that make up our ability to be happy. It's pretty fascinating. The last hundreds of years, we haven't really focused on happiness, but in the last couple of decades, researchers have really gone after this. How can we be happy? And they've determined, more or less, that there are three things that make up our ability to be happy. So the first one won't surprise you. Our genes determine how happy we can be. Our temperament, our personality determines our happiness at some level. Scientists and researchers believe that nearly 50% of our happiness is determined by who we are. Now, we're all on the spectrum here, but I think that we know that there are some people in our lives who are just simply given more to cheerfulness and optimism than other people. If I'm being honest, I, I find myself more on the side of cynicism my whole life. That is who I am at some level. Now, the question is, can you change this? Can you change your personality, your genetic makeup? No, probably not. By God's design and grace, you are who you are. So our genetic makeup, our personality, our temperament determines in part our 
ability to be happy. Now, what's the second thing? And this is probably the thing that you would say really determines your happiness. Number two is circumstances. Circumstances. This is what we think affects our happiness more than anything else. If we could just change our lives a little bit, our circumstances, we would be happy. And so we say to ourselves things like, if I just had a little bit more money, I would be happy. If I just had a a little bit bigger house and, and a yard, I would be happy. If I could just get one more promotion, I would be happy. Or, or that car, I would be happy. If I could lose 10, no 20, no 30 pounds, then I would be happy. If I could just find that person to love and to love me back, I would be happy. I would be happy if I was, in not, if I was not in so much pain. I am the same way. Listen, I, I think it's my circumstances. I do not like the cold. Do not like it. I hate the cold. I hate the snow. And it's getting worse. So here's the thing. My wife, she bought a shower curtain for our bathroom, right? And it's awesome. I love the shower curtain because it, it's like a, there's plants all over it, different kinds of plants, but they are plants that, I, that they look to me like they could come from Arizona or Palm Springs. So this is a little strange, but I get into the shower and I turn it up as hot as it goes and I teleport myself to Palm Springs, especially when it is freezing cold outside. And then I get out and I'm brought back to reality and I think I would be much happier if it was warm. We said that our genetic makeup determines 50% of our happiness. Okay, Uh, here's the question. What about our circumstances? 10%. 10%. Researchers say, and this has been confirmed over and over and over again, that 10% of our unhappiness is due to our circumstances. Not only is it hard to dramatically change your life, the things that you are enduring, the things that are, that are happening to you, even if we do get there, if we win the lottery or become famous, We have to understand that it is not really going to give us what we think it could. Jack Higgins is a guy who sold millions of books. He was asked what he he knows now that he wished he knew when he was younger. And he said this, I wish somebody had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Jim Carrey said on Twitter recently, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Okay, let's do some math. Modern science tells us that our personality makes up 50% of our ability to be happy. Our circumstances, they make up another 10% of our ability to be happy. So you add that up. I'm I'm not a math whiz, but I'm pretty sure that is 60%. And and on the one hand, that can be a little defeating because that's a lot. That's a lot, 60% percent of our lives, by and large, are fixed, at least here on earth. But we said three things determine our happiness, right? Let's do the third. The third is our thoughts, how we think. Forty percent of our happiness is determined by our minds. Christian pastor and counselor David Murray says this, 
Many, many factors make up our moods, the weather, our bank balance, sports results, our genes, our health, our body chemistry, and our sleep. But no factor is more influential than our thoughts, especially our thinking patterns and habits. He goes on to say this, Our thoughts, what we think and how we think, are potentially powerful allies in the fight for optimistic faith in a pessimistic culture. Our thoughts can be changed even if our circumstances can't. And so he calls this the 40% solution. While we cannot change our circumstances or our genes, how we think, how we think and what we think can be changed. Our minds, he says, are plastic. That's what researchers, that's what scientists have determined. They are moldable, shapeable, changeable. Every summer, my family and I would go down uh, to the very end of Puget Sound in Washington State where my grandparents had a vacation home. And it was so great. Uh, We loved it because it was right on the edge of this beautiful forest, this beautiful Puget Sound forest. And their place opened up onto the greenest, lushest forest you can imagine. And if you can imagine this, it has no poison ivy or ticks. And so we would run out there the second we would get there, and we would begin to make trails, right? And we would have to after an entire year of growth. We would go this way and that way. And as well, we would go over one trail more than the other. We would start to break it down. We would make it our own path, and it would become easier and easier to navigate, to travel over. Modern science tells us that our minds are like that. We can intentionally make paths, pathways in our minds and change thoughts and attitudes to lead to either better or, we must say, worse moods. And so I'm going to say something that I, I hope is going to be helpful to us. Happiness is, in large measure, a choice. Our happiness is our choice. Harvard psychologist Jerome Bruner says, you will more likely act yourself into feeling than feel yourself into action. Christian psychologist Henry Cloud says, just like your body needs certain nutrients to make it healthy, your heart, mind, and soul need certain practices to make them happy. Randy Alcorn, Christian writer and pastor, says this, Too many of us wait for sufficient motivation before making wise and joy-producing choices. He also says this, Both happiness and unhappiness are states of mind that self-perpetuate. The more delighted we are, the more delight becomes our default. Well, the angrier we are, the more anger becomes our default. Okay, now let's stop. And I'm, I'm going to say, maybe you think right now that I'm just preaching a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Modern psychology, modern science, that's not usually what I bring into to sermons. But let me tell you that I think that what the Bible teaches exactly reflects what we are learning in science. This is what the Bible teaches, that we can change our thinking, our thought patterns. That is biblical. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we are to put off the old self and put on the new self, which is Jesus Christ. We are becoming like Him. 
And he says this will happen when we are renewed in the spirit of our minds. Colossians 3, he says something very similar. He says that in taking off our old self and putting on the new one, what is happening is that we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. Renewed in knowledge to become more like God. We are beginning to think like Him. Romans 12, 2, which we read today, says it directly. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So listen, to be renewed is an active thing that we pursue, that we go after. One biblical commentator says that Christians are to adjust their way of thinking about everything in accordance with the newness of their life in the Spirit. And so, of course, Paul would exhort his readers in 2 Corinthians 10 to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. Of course, he would tell the Philippian believers, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think. We have the choice. With the Spirit's help, we can take hold of our minds. We can mold and shape our thoughts by the, gold, by the guidance of the Spirit. In other words, we can learn to be happy. Okay, point two, our happiness hazards. Our happiness hazards. Our minds, our thought patterns determine when we say 40% of our happiness. These pathways that we can make if we are active and approaching it this way either leads to feelings of happiness or unhappiness. Now, for many of us, me included, our pathways are not good ones. Our sin, how we are naturally, leads us to pessimism, negativity, suspicion, doubt, cynicism. And so when things happen to us, when the problems come, what often happens is that we just let them happen. And we let ourselves just take it. We listen. We just sit there. Here are some things that we do. When bad things happen, we generalize. Circumstances come that it could be negative or positive, and yet we still generalize. When something goes bad, we think, nothing ever goes right for me. If we fail to get a promotion, we say, I will never make it in this company. We generalize. Maybe we filter. We filter. We have an amazing ability to see the negative side of things, even if everything is going great. If our kids come home and they get a 9 out of 10 on their spelling tests, what do many of us say? What happened to that last one? If 9 out of 10 people came up to me and said, a sermon that I gave was good, that they liked it, I would probably focus on the one person who said that they didn't like it. We filter. We transform. We can take an amazingly positive experience, a great blessing, and turn it into a negative one. Sure, I got a promotion, but now I'm going to have a target on my back, and I'll have to travel a lot more, and who knows how long before I get fired. You transform. We mind read. I'm so good at mind reading. We think that we know what people are thinking. Whatever they do, we know exactly why they did it. We're left off an invite list, and we assume that person must hate us. 
When someone buys us a gift, we read all sorts of not-so-good things into it. What is their angle here? We mind read. We do fortune-telling. In other words, we can predict that the worst is always yet to come. Sure, I, I got a new house, but I bet in a week the boiler's going to blow up, the roof will have to be replaced, the foundation will, get, will crack. We do fortune-telling. Maybe you telescope. And what I mean is that you are able to, no matter your circumstances, no matter how you have matured, you can look, look past all those things with the telescope and see your past life, see your past sins, your past failure. Rather than looking at who you are today, what you are experiencing, to, what you are experiencing today, you telescope past those things and you say, I'm a terrible human being. I'm a horrible person. And we feel tremendous guilt and embarrassment. We telescope. Here's one more. We perfect. We perfect. For many of us, we are never, ever good enough. No matter what we do, no matter how many items off of our list that we tick, no matter how many promotions, no matter how well our kids do, we say it is not good enough. We focus on the ways that we have failed. Since I have been studying this and, and, and living this out with my kids, it's been amazing how many of these things pervade my own life and heart. They happen so naturally, so easily. If I sit back and let life happen to me, I will also sit there and let my sinful heart speak for me and speak to me. And then the worst part is that I just assume this is how life is and then I never move forward. But none of that is true. God has given us an incredible opportunity to fight for joy. We can choose happiness. So how do we do it? How do we take every thought captive for our joy? So the last point this morning, our happy mind, our happy mind. The solution is this, that we do what Asaph did. Asaph did. He is a, a writer of many psalms, and he wrote one of the most famous called Psalm 77. If you want to get that out, I would love for you to, to read it with me, Psalm 77. And I think, it's a, I think it's an opportunity that we can see where a man goes from unhappiness probably to some measure of happiness. And how he does it is exactly biblical. It's exactly the biblical framework. In a sense, it's a case study, Psalm 77. Psalm 77. And, and it's, essentially, there are two stages there. And the first stage is that he is honest about the facts of his circumstances and how they make him feel, right? That's the first, essentially, part of it. The facts of a situation and how they are making him feel. And then the second half is different. It is his concerted effort to recount and remember all the reasons that he does not have to feel this way. All the ways that he can be happy in God. So let's look at it together. So first, he is honest about his situation and the feelings he has about it. So verse 1, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And my, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Okay, stop there. So we are, told, we are not told what has happened to him. We're not told why he is enduring what is enduring, what his circumstances are. But we know they're bad. And he is incredibly honest about what he thinks about this. 
He refuses to be comforted. He's doing so badly that he can't even pray very well. He tries and then he faints. And then verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart and there. He is crying out to God as so many of us have. He is asking for God to come to him, to commune with him, to relieve his suffering. But all this is too much for him and he is despondent. Can you just feel that? He is deeply unhappy. And he says it unequivocally, verse 6, Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Stop there. So this sort of raw, unfiltered, transparent honesty, I want to tell you this morning, so important. It is so important for you. While you should not wallow in your despair and unhappiness forever, while you should not grumble indefinitely, one of the clear practices in the Psalms is that you must be honest about what you are going through, your pain, your misery, your unhappiness. Usually what we do is that we just live with it, we bottle it up, and we we think that we can just deal with it there. No, we never can. It is just a vicious cycle running in our minds. I am unhappy, therefore I will be unhappy. And so we must share it like this psalmist. Write it down. Tell it to someone else. I am sick. I am broke. I just got dumped. I feel tremendous guilt. But not just the circumstances we share, how we are feeling, how that is making us feel. We say, I am angry. I am terrified. I feel so worthless. I am unhappy. Listen, just saying those things out loud, writing them down, telling a friend is deeply informative and helpful. You will often say after doing something like this, I did not know I felt that way. I did not know I was being affected like this. So that first lesson is this, to be honest about the facts and of your situation and the ways that it is making you feel. But listen, there always comes this moment. You get to this stage and there comes this moment where you must ask yourself a vital question. And it's this, can I change the facts of my circumstances? Can I change what I am going through, what I am enduring? If your kids are young and tire and stress you out to no end, can, can you not have kids? I don't think so. If you are unhappy in a job that you just took, can you get a new one? Maybe eventually, but not right away. You've got to live there for a while. If you are diagnosed with cancer, can you be healed instantly? Well, we say as Christians, maybe, but this is not the common way. The Apostle Paul, if if you know about his life, he talked about the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was awful. It was awful. And so he prayed to the Lord three times. That's what he said. I prayed three times earnestly that the Lord would take this away from me. But when the Lord did not answer his request after that third time, you know what he said? 
said, that's it, I'm going to stop praying. This ailment, this thing is for me. God would not change his circumstances, at least right away. We get to that question, can we change our circumstances? And what do we say? Is this it? Or do we just go back to number one and go into that vicious cycle of wallowing and feeling badly about ourselves? Or is there something that we can do about it? This is where I think we have an incredible opportunity to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Paul says. This is where we can take hold of the incredible blessings and promises God has given to us. This is where we can be reminded of all who God is and what he has done. And that is exactly what Asaph does. He pauses after the despair of verse 9, and then he says this in verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. He is going to take control of his thoughts, of his feelings, how he thinks about his circumstances. In the book, Swiss Family Robinson, pastor and his family, as you probably remember, are shipwrecked, stranded on a deserted island. For most people, that would have been an awful thing, awful, miserable circumstance. But in the book, they chose to see it differently. They chose to see God's graciousness and his mercy to them. And the pastor's wife said this, I think it's so beautiful. If it be the will of God to leave us alone on this solitary place, let us be content and rejoice that we are all together in safety. When you are immersed in bad circumstances that you cannot change, you can change your mind. That is the promise from the Apostle Paul, from the Lord himself. You can decide to see all of the blessings that surround you. You can decide to recount all of the good things about your life, the people in your life, your circumstances, how God has blessed you before this, all the things that God has done in your life. You can decide to see and remember and delight in the goodness of God. Asaph says in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Remember that Asaph, was right before this, was burdened beyond all burdens. And he was questioning if God was even there, if God had forgotten to be gracious. But then he began to talk to himself rather than listening to himself. And he said, hang on, Asaph. You are not thinking in the right ways. God is there, and he is great, and he's done so much, and he will do it again. He has saved. And if he saved his people, then he will save me. Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the world. When your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He understands it now. 
Despite his circumstances, the Lord was there, always there, always helping, always encouraging, always blessing. But his footsteps were unseen. Now, he knew that before. He knew the theology. He knew all those things they had been told to him from when he was a boy. But he had to force himself to remember. And you can sense that his demeanor has changed at this point. He's confident, assured, and maybe even happy. His mind is recentered on his holy and awesome God. He has set his thoughts on the greatest of realities. He has remembered those things that even trump his terrible circumstances. His perspective has changed. And listen, this happens throughout the Bible. This is what the Bible teaches. Psalm 42.11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you hear that? He's talking to himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One of my favorite passages comes from Habakkuk 3. I had this read at my wedding, knowing that hard times would befall me and Jessica. This is what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Friends, has the Lord blessed you? Has he worked in your life? Has he been your God? You must take hold of this. And remember always that we stand even in a better place than Asaph did. We are people who stand on the other side of the cross that Jesus Christ gave up everything for us. We have nothing to fear in life and in death for he is our Savior. And we have every reason to be happy. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Delaware Indians in the 18th century. He gave his everything for those people, but he was at the same time endured tremendous hardships, physical hardships, including tuberculosis, which would eventually kill him when he was 29. By all accounts, he should have been miserable, but he was the opposite. It's amazing how many times he says the word joy or delight or happiness, hundreds and hundreds of times in his diaries. On one day, it was his 24th birthday, he was racked in pain, and yet he wrote this. He said, this has been a sweet, a happy day to me. On another painful day, he wrote that he had some relief in prayer, loved as a feeble, afflicted, despised creature, to cast myself on a God of infinite grace and goodness, hoping for no happiness but from Him. And then toward night, I felt myself rejoice that God is unchangeably happy and glorious. To Brainerd, the only source of final and lasting joy was Christ. But he knew he had to take it. He knew that he had to make him, to make the Lord his. And so he wrote, as a call to his people, to anyone who would listen, if you would hope for happiness in the world, hope for it from God and not from the world. And we can take that call today too. Our call, our promise, is to seek happiness, is to Feel happiness. 
as we struggle with our kids and our work, as we face failure and financial hardship, as we encounter tragedy and loss and grief, may yet we take hold of this thing that the Lord gives and provides. And so in always, friends, may we take hold of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your rich mercy that we can even talk this way. That we can even say with hope that there is hope. There is hope for us. There is hope for us who have experienced oppression all of our lives, parts of our lives. There is hope for us who are enduring right now great grief, struggle, and loss. There is hope for us who just can't seem to feel good. Start today, O Lord. May we take hold by your great spirit all of your promises. May we remember all you have done. May we see all the blessings that we have in family. May we see the blessing of living in this country, of serving in this church, of doing the work that we get to do. May we see the blessings of Jesus Christ and all that he has done to win us salvation. Lord, would you lift our heads? Would you make us to be happy? Because honestly, even in this, to take hold of what you have promised is probably too hard for us. But we know that you will do it because you love us immeasurably, faithfully. You will help us to stand, to remember, and take hold of this happiness that you have given. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.